the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, the Philistines decide keeping the ark is not worth the trouble. And if the Israelite God really is responsible, they need to figure out how to send it back in the right way to appease him. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 3. And they said, listen, if you're going to send the ark of the God of Israel, don't send it empty-handed. You know, if you're going to send them back home, if that's what you're considering, back to the land of Israel, then don't send it empty-handed. But in any wise, return him a trespass offering. Now, this shows that they understood a little bit about Israeli religion, even if they didn't fully understand it, because they knew that it, the trespass offering was something you did when you've really blown it. So you guys need to send some acknowledgement that you guys have really blown it, some type of sacrifice that confesses that. Then, if you do that, then you shall be healed, the plague will go away. And it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. In other words, then you'll know why he's upset with you. The crazy thing about all this is the rulers thought they were innocent. They really didn't think they'd done anything wrong. Taking the other team's God and putting his stuff in your temple, that's what the winning side always does. That's just how the rules work. So that can't be it. Maybe we didn't carry him a certain way. Or maybe he likes people to sing to him. Or maybe we should have put flowers on his box. All of these things show that they were treating the Lord like they would in the Ark of the Covenant, in a sense, like they would any other idol, any other representation of a God. This refusal to recognize that the Lord is holy, that he isn't like an idol, that he's the living God, he's not some statue or a piece of wood, that he's the living God, and that his standard is the standard for all. That refusal is mankind's biggest problem. That's where the rubber meets the road for every single individual. I remember reading, her name is escaping me right now. Her last name's Butterfield. Anyway, she is a wife of a Presbyterian pastor, I want to say on the East Coast, around like the Maryland, Virginia area. But she was quite famous before she became a Christian. She was the the dean of incoming students at Syracuse University, and she was a very uh, well-known LGBT spokesperson. She spoke at the Democratic National Convention, a lot of things, big name. 
But there was a small little church near the campus that kept reaching out to her, loved her, invited her to church. And as she started to go and started to learn the scriptures, she explains in her testimony where she shares her faith of how she got saved. She says, my problem wasn't my homosexuality, my sin, my sexual sin. She said, my problem was that I didn't want anyone telling me what to do. That I didn't want to acknowledge the fact that God had a way of doing things and I needed to get in line with it. That's where the rubber met the road for her. And that's where it is for all of us. It doesn't matter what the sin is. If we refuse to give it up, it's because we're saying, well, no, I, you don't have that kind of claim on my life. I'll do this for you and I'll do this for you and I'll do this for you, but I get to decide what I do. Not you. You're not God. I am. That is mankind's biggest problem. That's why the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty over and over and over again. Because it's the thing we just don't get. (laughs) There is no God beside him and God isn't like us. He's unique from all of his creation. Therefore, we should be humble and look to him for answers of how life is supposed to work in all matters. The Philistines refuse to do that, but do you do that? Do you humble yourself before him? Do you look to him for answers on how life is supposed to work? Do you look to his word to find those answers? Well, this is their recommendation for a trespass offering. Verse 4, then said they, what shall be the trespass offering which we shall return to him? And so these spiritual advisors, they said, well, five golden emeralds. It's a bit morbid. They make little golden tumors. I don't want to know what they look like. And then five golden mice. The explanation for that will be given in the next verse. According to the number of all the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on you all and on your lords. So the idea here is the same plague hit all the cities you took it to. This is on you guys. You guys have done something wrong. And so you need to give five, each of you give an offering of both a golden tumor statue, whatever that was, and a golden little Cinderella mice statue, whatever that was. That's your acknowledgement that you blew it, that the same thing happened to all of you because all of you blew it in some way. That's what you'll do. And how will you make them? Wherefore, you shall make images of your emeralds and images of your mice that mar the land. The word there, mar, means to ruin or corrupt the crops. Apparently, God had sent a plague of rodents of some kind, and they had wrecked the agriculture of the Philistines as well. And so that's why they needed to make the mice as well. And in doing this, you shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and from off of your gods and from off of your land. Now, in this, the religious counselors nailed it. The Philistine lords had never acknowledged God's sovereignty. They had never given God glory. They treated him like he was just another idol. So these gifts would be their way of acknowledging this sin. Now, based upon the religious counselor's reaction, the five rulers didn't like this idea. And you know, if you ever share with someone about their sin, it's funny, you know, you talk about the Lord and some people be like, oh yeah, yeah, I like Jesus. I like the idea of that. Some people obviously don't want anything to do with God. But so, oh yeah, but then the minute you start talking about sin, the wall comes up and they get hard. You don't have any right to be up in my business. You know, all the various answers that you may get. Because when you're confronted with the reality of your sin, this is the part where we just want God to butt out. Leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. 
I'll give you this. I'll give you that. I'll do this for you. But just let me live my life. And so verse 6 is spiritual experts, they say, why then do you harden your hearts? They tell them, this is what you need to do. And apparently the Philistine lords are all looking at each other and go, I don't know. Because they say, why are you hardening your hearts? As the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts. When he had wrought wonderfully among them, did they not let the people go and they departed? Why are you hesitating? Why are you hardening your heart? The Lord's upset with you, but you keep acting like you're in control. That didn't work for Egypt and it's not working for you. People are dying. When the Lord dealt wonderfully, the word there means harshly, with Egypt, their only answer was to do what God said, to let the Israeli people go. Don't let your pride destroy our people. So verse 7, here's what they say. Now, therefore, make a new cart and take two milchkine. Milchkine would be cows that have given birth and they were nursing. Not some old cow you've worked with in the fields that's half dead. No, you have two younger ones that have just given birth, they're nursing. Make a new cart and then take two milch kine on the which has come no yoke. You've never worked them. And then tie the kine to the cart and take their calves away from them. Bring the calves home. Why? We'll get to that when we see verse 9. Verse 8. And then take the ark of the Lord, lay it upon the cart, and then put the jewels of gold, which you return him for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side thereof, and send it away that it may go. In other words, no driver, just Give it a good yeah, and then send it on its way. And see if it goes up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh. In other words, if, if the ark goes towards his homeland, the Lord's homeland, Israel, because that's how they looked at things back then. Beth Shemesh was the closest city. It was about nine miles east of Ekron where the ark is right now, the closest Israeli city. It was also a Levitical city and therefore the best place to send the ark to because they'd know what to do with it. So they said, if it goes up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh, well, then he has done us this great evil. You'll know it's not just coincidence. But if not, then we'll know it was not his hand that smote us. It was chance that happened to us. So the spiritual experts can tell these guys are still hemming and hawing. They said, just do this. Put it on a cart. Take two cows that their first priority would be to their calves, their baby calves. Take their calves away from them. And if these two cows that have never taken a cart anywhere before, never been worked before, never had this experience, and they head up to the Lord's homeland, to Beth Shemesh, well, then you know it's the Lord and that he did this to us. And if it doesn't happen, well, then you just know it's coincidence and, well, I guess just people are going to die. Now, going that direction would be against these mommy cows' natural instinct, and therefore it would confirm God's hand in the situation. And yet, we still don't see repentant hearts. Well, if the cows don't go up there, well, then we know it's just chance. And so do whatever you want with the ark. It has nothing to do with what's happening. I love what David Goodzik, when he made a comment on this, he said, after all, no one wants to repent unnecessarily. (laughs) Verse 10, and the men did so. They finally decided to give in. And they took two milch kind, tied them to the cart, shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart and the coffer with the mice. They put a big box that had their little statues of mice and the images of their emeralds. And the kind, they took the straight way, the, just a straight path to the way of Beth, the road to Beth Shemesh. And they went along the highway, lowing as they went, bellowing. The cows were not happy about leaving their calves behind. But it goes on to say, and they did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them under the border of Beth Shemesh. So they stayed on course all the way to this Israeli Levitical city. 
Again, these two cows had never pulled a cart before, either alone or together. They did it without a driver, and they traveled 10 miles straight to a city that they'd never been to while leaving their calves behind. That is a miracle, an absolute miracle. And so the Philistines, they probably figured out, this: the Lord's been judging us. Verse 13, what happens when it gets to Beth Shemesh? Well, it says, those of Beth Shemesh, the people who lived there, they were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark. And you hear a bunch of cows bellowing. Cows are interesting. I remember when we were on vacation once and we came down from the place we were staying at, the cabin or whatever we were staying at, and saw all these cows and bulls out in the field. They didn't make a peep. They don't strike me as loud, bustling animals. And yet these cows are just complaining the whole way they're going. And so as the noise comes up, they look up and they saw the ark and they rejoiced to see it. And so the cart came into the field of Joshua, Beth Shemite, and it stopped there where there was a great stone. And so the people, they chopped up the wood of the cart and then they killed the two cows. They offered the cows as a burnt offering unto the Lord. Now, the reason they rejoiced is because for seven months, Israel had been out without the Lord's presence in their mind. The ark was gone. And they had taken that as a sign now of the Lord's return to Israel, that he'd come back. But their joy is not acted upon in the correct way. This burnt offering unto the Lord violated multiple commands from the law of Moses. First off, offerings to God had to be male animals. Leviticus 22 verse 19 is very clear about that. Secondly, offerings were only to be made at the tabernacle. Deuteronomy 12 verses 5 and 6 say you're not supposed to do it anywhere else. And thirdly, a burnt offering symbolized complete surrender to the Lord. It's hypocrisy to do a ritual that symbolizes complete surrender. At the same time, you're ignoring God's commands. This was not a good thing. They were excited because for seven months they'd been without the Lord in their mind and now he's back. But their spiritual excitement also shows their spiritual ignorance because the Lord isn't in an ark. The Lord's not in a box. He's not like an idol. So they make the same mistake the Philistines do in their spiritual excitement. Something that's important to point out is that spiritual excitement is never an excuse for disobedience. Now, when some of the Levites in the city saw what was going on, they intervened, verse 15. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord. I don't know where the Israelis had put it. It wasn't on the cart anymore because they chopped it up to make firewood. So I don't know why they thought it was okay to grab this thing and to put it somewhere as like a prize, but they had. So the Levites, when they came, they took it down and the coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of the gold were, and they put them on the great stone. They took the jewels, not the ark put the jewels on the great stone. But notice, even though the Levites intervene, the men of Beth Shemesh, they offered burnt offerings and sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. They just keep partying on. Now, I do have to point out that this seems like the first decent Levites we've met during the period of Judges. We have not had good Levites examples that we've seen so far. They recognize that the ark is supposed to be covered. It's not supposed to be up as a prize. And so they take it down from wherever the Israelis had set it up for for their celebration. But that did not move the people to repentance. 
They continued on with their disobedient celebration, showing that nothing had changed in the seven months of the ark absence. Now, with the ark safely in Israeli hands again, Philistines, verse 16, when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. They decide that they can go home. We're okay now. The Lord is going to leave us alone. So they return home to see if their plan worked. Verse 17. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the Lord, for Ashdod one, Gaza one, Eskelon one, for Gath one, one, and for Ekron one. So five of these golden tumors for each city. But the golden mice, it wasn't just five. They actually made a lot more. They made enough of these golden mice statues according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords. If they were walled cities, if they were just country villages, any city in the land of the Philistines all the way up to the stone of Abel, that's the stone there in Beth Shemesh where the ark came to a stop. They made a, a golden mouse for every one of those cities. So there were dozens of them. Whereon they set down the ark of the Lord. And whoever wrote the book of 1 Samuel says, that stone remains unto this day in the field of Joshua, the Beth Shemite. So he's telling whoever's reading this, you can go, see that stone is still there today. So the rulers exceeded the priest's recommendations, their, their diviner's recommendations. Hopefully that would keep God happy enough to leave them alone. We don't hear the end of the story. It seems to imply that the plague went away. But again, that's not a happy ending because the Philistines are still without the Lord. So... In their mind, maybe they thought it was good, but certainly not what the Lord wanted. Well, verse 19, this would seem like should be the end of the chapter. But just like the Lord dealt with the Philistines, now God has to deal with his own people. Verse 19, and he smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had, King James says, looked into the ark of the Lord, but it actually just means looked upon the ark of the Lord. He smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked upon the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people, 50,070 men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. Now, I don't think the Lord was upset because the ark came up on this cart that the Philistines had put it on and the cows are bellowing and everybody got their attention and it's kind of like a Medusa thing. Like, <gasps> I don't think that's why the Lord was upset. The concept here is that they treated the ark like it was a cake topper. Like it was this icon that they could just put somewhere and almost treat like an object of worship. The ark under the law of Moses wasn't to be touched by or even looked upon by the Levites, let alone gawked at during a party. It was to be covered when it was in public. It was to be carried on special staves that they would put through the rings of the Ark of the Covenant, not moved by hands. And yet the people knew this. They didn't go get the Levites immediately. They didn't go make sure it was covered up. They didn't make sure it was transported correctly. To move it from the cart, the people have had to handle it in some way. For the Levites to have to take it down from wherever they put it means they touched it and they put it somewhere. And so the Lord, he wasn't going to let them treat him like they would an idol. And so he killed 50,070 people. Now, Beth Shemesh was not a town of that size. So the, that means word had spread and people had flocked to look at, to gawk at the ark. 
That's why God judged them. This was widespread disregard for the holiness of God, that he's unique and different, and therefore it required widespread judgment. And sadly, the people of Beth Shemesh respond the same way the Philistines did, verse 20. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy God? And to whom shall he go up from us? He can't stay here. We don't want that. Who is able to stand before this holy God? Good question. The answer is no one. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For there is none good, no, not one. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. None of us can stand in our own righteousness before a holy God. That's why the Lord gave Israel so many instructions concerning their worship. He doesn't want to destroy us. He wanted to forgive us. He wanted to draw us close. But that requires humility and it requires coming in his righteousness instead of my own. That's why the cross was necessary. All of Israel's worship points forward to the cross. Now realizing this mistake, that God is holy and they're not, it should have brought them to repentance. But instead they think God was unreasonable to expect them to keep his commands. Sound familiar? I can't tell you how many people today tell me, I just don't think God's fair. I don't think that's right for God to expect that. I don't think it's right for God to judge people. I don't think hell's fair. All the things that people say. But that kind of pride presumes that I'm somehow more capable of knowing right and wrong, fair and unfair, than the one who created everything and knows everything. At its heart, anytime someone says that, what they're really saying is, I'm a better God. And when I have that mentality, I don't want to get closer to the Lord. I want him to go away and leave me be because I'm good on my own. And so they ask where they can send the Lord's presence. Verse 21. And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come you down and fetch it up to you. We don't want it. You come get it. Now, Kirjath-Jerim was the nearest city on the road to Shiloh, the location of the tabernacle. So their thought is, well, just get it that way. Get it that way. Get it away from us. But how is this any different from the Philistines' attempts to control the Lord's influence in their lives? It isn't. You see, Israel may not have done the same thing with the ark that the Philistines did, but they had treated it the same, like an idol. Something less than them. Something that wasn't alive. Now, Psalm 14.1 makes the very important statement, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Anytime someone gets involved in idolatry, that's absolute foolishness. Now, Proverbs 22.15 tells us that foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. And so parents, you got to use the rod of correction to drive it out of his heart. That's the job of a parent is to train their child, to discipline and teach their child so that foolishness is driven out of their heart. So that by the time you release them into the world, they're no longer fools, right? That they are mature adults who can make good decisions, thoughtful decisions, godly decisions. Foolishness is something we're all born with. Therefore, there's only one solution if my heart is still foolish when I become an adult. God has to discipline me. And when I treat the Lord like he's a fairy or an icon, it's the same as saying there's no God. Because fairies don't exist. Idols aren't alive. 
but Jehovah is the living God. So when he says, don't gawk at the Ark of the Covenant, there's a good reason. And since he's real, he can enforce the necessary penalty when I ignore him so that I stop being foolish. See, the lesson from the heart that we learned today is that both the Philistines and the nation of Israel, they had hearts that still needed to be disciplined to drive out the foolishness that exists in these two chapters. So the application for us is let's learn from their discipline so we don't repeat their mistakes, amen? Let's not treat God's commands like they're icons of our faith. Let's treat them as the words of our creator, our master, and our savior. And let's remember that he loves us immensely. Prove that he loves us immensely on the cross. And that when he gives those commands, he always has our best interest in mind. Let's all stand. Oh, Lord, you are good. And your mercy, your love, it endures forever. Your loyal love, your devotion towards us, it endures forever. Lord, you always love us, even when we're acting foolish. You're good. Remind us of your love and your goodness. We will trust in the Lord our God, not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways we'll acknowledge you. And you might make our path straight. We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.